Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Oh man, am I excited for today's episode. My guest is Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center. Based in Los Angeles, California, Agape is a trans-denominational, multicultural community of thousands of local, national, and international members. Michael has been giving two sermons every Sunday for 33 years. Going to Agape is it's an experience. First, there is music, a killer band, and probably the most diverse gospel choir in the world. There are a variety of spiritual guests and luminaries, and of course, Reverend Michael, one of the most prolific and articulate orators you will ever experience. His channeling, and and that's what it is, channeling on gratitude, forgiveness, civic engagement, unlocking your potential, is transcendent and elicits audible epiphanies from the 1,200 or so gathered. All I can say is go to Agape and experience it. Michael provides a community, a home for lost and wandering souls. You will be welcome there, no matter your race, religion, color, creed, or sexual preference. Michael is also a deep meditator and teacher. Part of his role as leader of the Agape congregation is to help people help themselves, teaching people vital skills to overcome life's inevitable obstacles. In fact, Meditation for Life's Challenges is the title of our new commune course that we created with Michael that will be available in 2020. Today, I talk with Michael about how to cope with loss, grief, with loneliness and stress. Please listen closely. There is God in Michael's words. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Beckwith. Right now, I am the founder of Agape International Spiritual Center. We're celebrating our 33rd year as a, as a community here in Los Angeles. And uh, basically, I teach meditation. I uh, facilitate uh, worship services. And uh, whatever falls under that, that description of a spiritual teacher, mm-hmm. I uh, speak at the United Nations. I teach around the world. It's, I feel uh, very um, grateful that I get to be and do what I get to do. And was was there a moment for you, an epiphany, that where you became woke? Yes. Um, and I, when I had that epiphany, that I could see as I was growing up, it was trying to happen, but I kept blocking it. So when it finally happened... Um, I just moved back to Los Angeles from Atlanta. I attended Morehouse College, and I uh, took a a semester off and came back to Los Angeles. And I was a part of um, a group, revolutionary group, to uh, change the world by any means necessary. We worked with the Black Workers' Congress, Black Panther Party. I was sitting in a meeting, and someone said, if you were to take over the world tomorrow, would it be any different? So I looked around to see who said that, and there was no one there. 
So the meeting continued, and then I heard it again, but it was coming from within me. If you, meaning us in this room, were to take over the world tomorrow, would it be any different? So I looked around the room, and I could see the pathology. I could see territorialism, ego, possessiveness, always having to be right. I could see all of this in the room. And I said, wow, the world wouldn't be any different, regardless of the ideology. Right. So I stepped out of that meeting, never went back. The very next week, somebody shot somebody in that meeting. They got upset and shot somebody. So I, I enrolled at USC, psychobiology major. I was attracted to go to med school. But I was having these experiences, starting in that room, hearing things, seeing visions. I was, now I know what I was, I was astral traveling. I didn't know what that was at the time. I would think about my mom. I'd be in her kitchen watching her cook. I'd call her on the phone. Mom, do you have on a blue dress? Yes. You cooking chicken? Yes. So I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what it was. This experience I was having culminated with three men who were always chasing me every night. It was an elusive dream, but I, I would force myself awake before they could get to me. So one night, they were really close, and I turned around, and there was a small tent with thousands of people trying to go in this small tent. I knew every single person in line. So I said to myself, these guys can't hurt me. I'm with my friends. So I started screaming, and one by one, they turned their back on me. Two of the men held me down, and another plunged a serrated knife into my heart, and the pain physically was excruciating. It was emotional, physical, and I screamed out, and I died. And when I woke up, I could see that I was surrounded by this presence. I named the presence Love Beauty. The love was so intense, and the beauty was so profound. I didn't use the word God. Uh, I, was, I was kind of agnostic at this time, agnostic, atheistic, but it was just, it was a presence. And as we were talking about earlier, everything was glowing, animate and animate objects just glowing in this presence everywhere. And so I went on a search to discover what had happened to me. And in so doing, I bumped into the mystical teachings of Gautama the Buddha and Jesus and Soriaster and Kuan Yin and Dhammapada and the Panishads and the Bible and, you know, and I could see the mystical thread running through all of this regardless of culture or history and it shifted my life forever then I could see when I was a kid it was always trying to break through but I would always stuff it down because I didn't want to be weird hmm. you know I had different experiences and um, I would find a way to be to normalize myself yeah isn't it funny there's that <clears throat> there's this kind of shame associated often with spiritual awakening as if that would you would be judged in yeah. a way um of course to put too much value to to base your own identity through the eyes of others is it's never a, a, a fruitful no, practice it's called hell <laughs> <laughs> you have developed kind of through contemplation and meditation tools for managing a lot of life's most salient problems, obstacles, challenges. Um, I'd love to talk with you a little bit about, about how people can utilize and develop those tools to address some of the issues that um, 
that we're all going through. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I would ask you first is, is the nature of humanity to suffer <laughs> at some level? I think that's part of the Buddha teachings, you know, there's, right. there, there is suffering. And I think we have to define suffering. Um, I think in the human experience, there are certain experiences that are going to happen. Somebody's going to die. They may die before their time. A kid, you know, may die. Uh, somebody's going to suffer loss, you know, whether it's a job, whether it's um, friendship. You know, there are just certain things that are in the human condition that we can't avoid. Yeah. And so, so pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. You know, suffering is the story you tell yourself about the pain. Right. So suffering is, can be long if, in fact, you keep carrying the story about it and not really change your perception around it. But yeah, in the human condition, you know, I, I, I sometimes say that there's something going to betray you. It might be your body temple. Your own body may betray you with a disease or an accident or something. A friend or an associate may betray you with some kind of lie or, or scheme or, or something. Yeah, so I think in the human condition, it's going to be there. Yeah. Let's talk about grief specifically yeah because it's something inevitably everyone has to deal with how do you counsel people that are dealing with grief well <clears throat> first of all i i give them permission to grieve not to lock it up and put it away in some kind of spiritual box that you know the person is alive they live forever they'll always be alive you know it's a spiritual truths but when a person is, is suddenly taken away from you, um, your heart doesn't know that. So we <clears throat> give the person permission to actually feel into that, to feel into that, to that loss, make that loss sacred. You know, you honor that someone was in your life, now they're not. What does it feel like? And so, that, so once an individual can do that and then embrace that, I let them know that the fact that they can embrace it they're bigger than that issue. They're actually, their consciousness is actually bigger. And then I ask them to, and of course this is not boilerplate. I mean, when I'm with somebody, it's always a little different. Yeah. But the basic principles are, um, I get them to celebrate what that person meant to them. Right. That person came into your life. You know, what did they bring? What gift? Why did they make you feel? Obviously you're sad that they're gone, so... What was it? So I, I have them start thinking about that. I'm, I'm very grateful so-and-so was in my life. I really got a chance to have a lot of fun. We read together. We traveled together, wh- whatever it was. So that becomes an awareness of that gift and that energy, and that energy doesn't die. And then um, from gratitude, I invite them to dedicate something in their life to that person so if they're in a project, like we do with yoga sometimes in the asana, we may, we may dedicate our yoga practice to an individual or to something in society that needs a blessing or a healing. So I invite them to do that. I also say to them, you know, when we're in our lowest ebb, we generally ask the question, you know, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this person dying at such a young age if mm. that happened? Right. And I ask them to reverse the question. Don't ask what is the meaning of that? Because a lot of that is unanswerable, and it has something to do with that individual, their own soul, their own choices. You can't really un- know why hmm. right now. 
But you can reverse the question and you can say, based on knowing them, how can I give my life meaning? So based on this person being in my life, they brought this quality, they brought that quality, how can I give my life meaning? So then I go out into the world giving my life meaning by saying, you know, I want to be more like them because they were very forgiving or they were very compassionate or they were very generous or they were very creative. I want some more of that in my life. Mm-hmm. So, as, so, so when the, the energy shifts from just grieving that they're gone to how can I give my life meaning, there's an energy shift that takes place. And the person's perception widens. They don't stop grieving but the, but the fabric of the grief changes until finally the individual, they may not believe it, but they're really celebrating the fact that this person was in their life and th- their life has more meaning. Mm. It's a gradual shift. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been reading Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And um, he essentially says that like, we're, we're here to find meaning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that we find meaning in three ways in love and connection, uh, in work, and in suffering. Mm-hmm. And for me, just trying to intellectualize that, the hardest seems to be the, the latter. Yeah. To be worthy of our suffering. I had a friend, actually, I played tennis with him this morning. He, um, he has two beautiful, well, he had two beautiful daughters, one of, which, one of whom was two, and um, choked and died mm. at the breakfast table. Mm. And I was talking to my wife about it. I was very upset about it. I mean, and, um, you know, how you cope with that form of, like, disorder. Right. The chaos right. of that. Um, and I think your words are important for people to hear because even if you're not going through a kind of suffering that is as as acute potentially as that kind of disordering um to find meaning in that suffering to find meaning in that loss yeah my friend lily doolin his daughter died a few years ago went over to the house obviously her and her husband were distraught and she has now transmuted that energy into a nonprofit mm. in which she raises money for families, raises money for all kinds of things that are connected to children. So she has successfully embraced that her daughter was in her life for a few years. She keeps her alive in her heart, but she's shifted the energy. So the suffering was real and continues to be something that guides her to keep on going to make her work bigger and better and brighter for, for other people that are going through similar situations and, and just um, families in general. So there was a transmutation of that. Yeah. You, you said being worthy of the suffering. That's, that's, that's an interesting statement mm. because um, I think that's what we become worthy of it when we're able to use it for yeah. transformation. That's right. There's this beautiful letter that Ram Dass wrote um, called A Letter to Rachel, which is one of the most beautiful notes, written notes I'd, I've ever read um, that he dedicated to, um, well, he sent to two parents that lost uh, a young one. And um, I'll post it, but it's a beautiful, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful piece of writing. There's God in it. Oh, I see.
let's talk about loneliness mm-hmm. because well, Vivek Murthy, who is Barack Obama's Surgeon General, he said that loneliness is the number one epidemic in our country, period. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. I mean, there's chronic disease. There's a lot of epidemics. Opioid epidemics. Yeah. Sort of, right. But they're connected, probably. Yeah, probably. What is the cause of our loneliness, and how do we address it? Well, I would, I would probably say, what's the meaning? What's the meaning of it? Um, I don't think it has a cause, but I think it has a has a meaning. And an individual that's suffering uh, from loneliness is, at some level, disconnected from themselves, and is caught up with this, with what is called interactive thinking. They have these thoughts that are running through their mind. And it generally has something to do with other people. Other people can make them happy. Other people can make them sad. They want some kind of connection. And oftentimes I'll tell people, and for me, I like being alone. Mm-hmm. I, I can be in crowds. I love all of that. I like I love people. But I like being alone. I like, my, I like it. And I think that what we have to do is learn to like ourselves while we're alone because we'll be hell when we're with people if we don't. <laughs> because we'll, we'll try to extract our happiness and our joy from being around people. And that's, that's an addiction. Yeah. If you have to go out, and then it gets exacerbated with social media. You know, how many likes do you have? You know, how many people are following you? Um, so people are suffering from uh, an acute disconnection from themselves. They don't know who they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as a child, I traveled. My parents were moving me to and fro to all sorts of different countries with all sorts of different languages. I was also a very chubby kid. Um, so every six months, I'd show up in a new school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no o- connection. <laughs> overweight, not speaking the language. And it was, it was, I mean, it was a very beautiful multicultural way to grow up, and I learned a lot of languages. There was a lot of you know, positive attributes to my upbringing. But um, but I had a real difficult. I had a really big self esteem problem, um, right. and my main goal in life was fitting in. Yes, you know, just fitting in and being liked. Right. And I mean, of course, that followed me for a very very long time till I became more aware of the issue. Right. And um, I read this thing that Brene Brown wrote sort of the difference between fitting in and belonging. Two different things. Totally different things. Like belonging is being accepted and liked by other human beings, but also while maintaining your true authentic self. Right. Versus molding, changing, morphing yourself to assimilate or fit into a situation. Absolutely. I thought that was very... It's absolutely true. And at a young age... People are mistaking belonging for fitting in or fitting in for belonging. Right. They want to fit in so bad, and it's a pseudo-belonging. Not, they don't really belong because they, they are not themselves. They don't know who they are. They, their, their personality is uh, shaped by others' thoughts of them, and they have to fit in. That's a kind of a, a, a hell. And it's also why people can be in a crowd and be lonely right? because they're always trying to be nimble to figure out who, you know, what to fit in to next. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we've all been in those conversations where like people are looking over our shoulder to right. find the next, right? You know, affirmation from somebody else. Absolutely. You know, and I used to take a, a sort of uh, umbrage at that, and now I actually just have a degree of compassion for it because, you know, essentially what that is saying to me is that that person feels like they are not enough. That's it's, that's exactly what it's saying. They're not enough emotionally. The emotional body, the mental body, all of the bodies are have an imaginary hole in it mm-hmm. that they're trying to fill with something outside of themselves. And that see, that's a that's a spiritual awakening. You know, you can't I mean, what happens is that people, you know, op- the opioid uh epidemic, consumer therapy, going out and buying stuff. Right. All of these things try to fill that imaginary hole, but it's actually a spiritual awakening that needs to take place. You have to become aware, little by little by little, that you are enough right. from the beginning, and not because you have plaques on your wall or degrees or money in the bank or people liking you, that you are enough from the beginning. Yeah. When I see people bristle to spiritual programs, I'm like, you're already spiritually programmed. <laughs> right. You know, or or programmed. You're living um, with the idea that you can solve your discontents in the devouring or accumulation of one thing or another within the material plane, whether that's likes on Instagram, chocolate cake, right? Pick it, cars, whatever. Cars. And this is the big switch, the shift, right? You call it the shift. Yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a shift of perception, which is why we have spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Not to become religious or to become a great meditator, but to actually open up to who we are, to the, to, the, to the potential that's within us until it becomes more real than the temporary circumstances that we're living in. So it's, it's, it, people do bristle at it at times. However, you, know, you go back 30 years ago, this stuff was really woo-woo. Yeah. Now it's central. Absolutely. You know, it's a central fabric of our society. Everyone knows about meditation and life visioning and affirmation and visualization. And, you know, they may enter into it at a a parochial stage. Right. And I know that you believe that we're not just here having a temporary uh, spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. If you believe systems and structures are essentially built to serve people and people are inherently spiritual then those systems cannot work when they're devoid of spirituality absolutely the systems there they have such systemic issues uh and the and the narrative um is that uh uh, people are evil people are bad we got to control them you know so we have to dumb them down and numb them down we have to, and the population is basically dumbed down and numbed down at this particular mm-hmm. time in history. Right. So, yeah, the, the, the structures systemically, they're falling apart. I mean, at the seams. You look at the medical uh, structure. You look at the, the legal structure, the prison structure. You know, they're at, like the seams are breaking. They can't hold anymore. So it's time for a birth into something else. So when we talk about um, our, our spiritual nature... The systems are to serve that. They're to serve the fact that each being uh, is a reservoir of infinite potential and creativity and that we've come to the planet to release that. But individuals in our society are stuck in self-preservation. Mm. You know, I, I talk about the fact that there are 
we live in four domains, self-preservation, adaption, transformation, and dissolution. Most people are still living in self-preservation. Even billionaires are still stuck in self-preservation. You know, they still want more. They don't have enough. Right. You know? And they're fear, in the fear of losing. The fear of losing. That's yeah. their identity. Yeah. You know, and then we learn how to adapt to circumstances. Most people live there. But the third domain, what you're talking about here, is transformation, where we're actually on the planet transforming ourselves, becoming uh, uh, openings through which our potential is released, becoming the next great version of ourselves, not in a, a self-improvement kind of way, but in an awakening kind of, kind of way. And then when that occurs, then there's dissolution. The old world that was built upon your mind power or your f might starts to fall apart. And, and your new world is built upon your new vibration that you're carrying. And then you live primarily from transformation, dissolution, transformation, dissolution. So the society, as we were talking about earlier, is so young, they don't even know this. Right. They're mm -hmm. stuck in self-preservation. So you, you, heavy you heavily police everything, right. put criminals in jail so we can preserve our life and our way of life, which is what? Materialism and consumerism, yeah. pretty much. It's, it's pretty much what America stands for. That's what it is. It's a corporation. Yeah. So you, you've studied all forms of theology, um, from the Tao to Jesus, Muhammad, to modern poets, mystics, sages, Melville, Emerson, Dr. King. I mean, is essentially, are there different masks but essentially an eternal face under that mask. Absolutely. There's, you break it down to spiritual principle. There's a presence. I call it the presence that's never an absence, which means it's everywhere. And, and it can't compromise its nature. It can't change. It is always what it is. So it, it's love, and it operates lawfully. Now, if you go through every major religion, all the culture... And, and their expression of this presence, you're going to bump into forgiveness, you're going to bump into prayer, you're going to bump into meditation, you're going to bump into service. You know, these are pathways to wake up to your essential self. So whether you're entering into it from uh, Jewish persuasion or Christian or Mohammedan or, you know, you, the principles, you can't change principles. It's just like saying, you know, just like there's different bodies of water, and you have it different names. This is the Atlantic. Oh, that's the Pacific. Oh, that's the Dead Sea. But it's all water. Mm -hmm. You know, the principles are the same in that water. If you want your boat to float, you have to, it has to adhere to the laws of buoyancy. You know, it doesn't matter what body of water it's in. So when you study, you know, what I did when I had that, that epiphany, that my first one as an adult, you know, when I studied all of those things, I said, oh, there's basically no difference except for culture and history and the lens that the teacher was speaking through based upon their culture and history at the time. Right. They spoke to their issues of that time and whatever, whatever the dominant culture was, right. that was the language they used. Right. But the underlying principles were, are the same. Yeah. You know, there's no... And are you essentially modern torchbearer for those principles? And is your message missionary in nature? Missionary meaning... Missionary in the sense of how Christianity is missionary. Essentially, it's it's and somewhere in there it's baked in to to spread. Um, we don't proselytize, right? No, we want to inspire and encourage people uh, 
to discover this for themselves. So we would be called a religion that gives the person back to themselves. Mm. You know, we want them to discover themselves. Mm. So we want okay. to encourage. You know, we want you to become you. I don't want you to follow me. I always say, I'm not here for followership. I'm here to train spiritual leadership. Right. So that when a person wakes up, when they go to their place of employment, they're leading with excellence. You know, you drive on the freeway, you're leading with excellence. You're, you, you, you go out into the world, but you're going out as an emissary of the presence and an emissary practicing these principles. Hmm. So it's not about joining this club and making this club really big. It's, it's, a, it's about finding our dharma, our reason for being on the planet, and doing it excellently, mm, you know, yeah. as an extension of our awakened consciousness. What's the, uh, what's the highest expression of being human? Uh, um, probably love. Mm. Love, and I, and, I, and I have to say uh, love, but also creativity. I don't mean music and dance, even though that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the activation of our unique giftedness and expressing it. Mm. Because one thing about the spirit, it's not inert, it's not dormant, it's alive. Mm. And each and every one of us are unique yeah. expressions of this aliveness. So we are here to reveal, let, let this love ethic take over and express ourselves. Mm. Yeah, see? that's beautiful. I mean, if the soul is infinite, if it has no end and has no beginning, it's essentially always expanding, right? Yes. And this is where I always, because I have three daughters, um, and I'm always like, you've got a long time to be old, <laughs> but don't concern yourself with that, with, na with that now. Be expansive. Live in that full expansiveness of your imagination. Right. And that will, that is a mirror of your soul. Yeah. This, this set them free. You know, it's, 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 it's Leila, it's play. Yeah. It's learning how to play. Yeah. And, and um, we've forgotten that. We've gotten very serious. But interestingly enough, the vibration of playing and the vibration of praying is very similar. Because when you're playing, I'm not talking about trying to win a game, I'm talking about playing. Yeah. The object is just to be, to be in play, yeah. you know. And, and full out with no attachment to an outcome. And when you're in prayer, you're full out communing with the presence with no attachment to an outcome. The outcome forms itself based on your communion. Right. You know, so they're very similar. So you're teaching your daughters to just play and then watch all this good flow into their life. You know? <laughs> I always say they never listen to me, but they'll never fail to imitate me. <laughs> Absolutely. That is, and that is the truth of parenting. Yeah. Your, kids, your kids will not listen to you, but they will do what you do. That's right. <laughs> That's why it's parenthesis. Right. You just put the edges on it. Right, right. Um, I love being in your presence, Michael. Thank you for all the work that you do and the work that you've done, your dedication at Agape for 33 years. Uh, you've made the world a better place. I, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. I appreciate being with you as well. I like your presence. I like what you're doing. I like hanging out with you. Fun. We'll do it some more. It's great. Absolutely. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are interested in seeing Reverend Beckwith live, then I highly encourage you to go to Agape at the Saban Theater every Sunday. And also, look for our new course with Michael, Meditations for Life's Challenges, coming in the new year. 
If you have any comments on today's show or the podcast in general, please email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I can't always respond, but I promise I will read every one. I do appreciate your feedback. That's it from the commune. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>